That's a lot, isn't it? a lot with Abby Chatfield. This week is a solo episode. Lucky, lucky you hearing just my voice for about an hour. Now, I have to address the elephant in the room. Um, maybe lack thereof, I guess. Um, you might notice my audio quality isn't quite as good as usual. Um, and that is because I am in Sydney right now. I came down for something I'll chat about in a little, in a little bit. Um, but... So I'm down in Sydney, I'm at the hotel room, I'm ready to record, I'm a bit late recording, a bit tired, had a very early flight down here and get at my recorder and I've got no batteries and no SD card, which is really fun because they're like the two essential things you need, power and something to record it on, so that's good. Um, so now I'm just drinking a nice Coke and recording this on my phone. Hopefully it isn't too bad though, the quality is usually okay on the iPhone recorder. Anyway, what's up, guys? What's been happening? Um, this week has been absolutely crazy for me and I'm sure it'll get even crazier as the week goes on. Um, I wanted to start off at the top of the show letting you guys know, I'm sure you saw my Instagram a little bit ago, a week or so ago, um, but I wanted to let you know that Vush our favourite vibrating company, are now official sponsors of the show and I am officially an ambassador, which is so exciting. Um, I obviously am very passionate about female sexuality and I'm very passionate about um, us owning our orgasms and having no shame in masturbating and I guess it goes for, you know, women, men, non-binary people, everyone. Um, but there is obviously an additional stigma against uh, female sexuality that we try to dissect here in the podcast. Um, Vush have been amazing to work with and you guys have bought so many vibrators. Um, the Empress is the one that you guys want to get. Uh, and I just couldn't be happy to be partnered with them. They have this whole ethos around advertising to women and realising that women should have the power in what they're consuming. So there, there isn't this male gaze related advertising that is like a woman in like a black lingerie set with her perky titties out and like, you know, her non-existent flaps not showing. And it, it, it's, it's a really great company to work for. It is owned by two men, but they're two feminist men and I really get along with them. Um, there's, a beautiful uh, girl that I interact with that kind of helps me with all the, all the stuff that I do with them and it's just been so fantastic. So if you guys haven't tried a Empress yet, try it. I've got my code, Abby, in capitals, 65% off. It makes about $80 Australian. They sold out last time but um, this time they have all the stock in the world because COVID kind of made things a bit uh, hard to get more stock in and you guys bought 
thousands, which is crazy. Anyway, I just wanted to just see how, see how grateful I am for that because of, it, it is a bit of an emotional thing for me. Um, obviously, around a year ago, I was starting, I think Bachelor was just starting to air and I was really uh, scared and, and you know, in a month or so it'll be a year from when I was suicidal and really depressed and feeling like I was going through a nationwide slut shaming um, and to now be able to partner with a brand that is focused around female sexuality is something that I'm so passionate about. I'm so passionate about feminism and, um, you know, I'm learning every day that I do this podcast, um, but I've been passionate about it for so long and it's just, it's really, it's a huge step for me and it may seem silly and it may seem, oh, it's just a collab, you know, for an an influencer collab, but it's really not for me. It's something really, really important to me and I'm so, so happy to be partnered with Vush and I'm so glad that you guys send me all your little reviews on DMs and in the podcast group. So keep doing that because it makes me so happy and it makes them happy and um, it lets me know that you guys trust me to recommend things like sex toys, which is important when I'm trying to be your resident um, feminist sex positive podcast. And, you know, I'm not I'm not as educated as a Chantel Otten, the gorgeous thing, or even a flex. So flex mummy. So I'm very, I'm very, very lucky. And I, I feel very humbled to be um, partnered with, with Vush. Um, I remember when I went on The Bachelor, uh, I, I said, you know, even if like when I went to film, I was like, even if I don't end up with this person, all I want is to have a platform to talk about feminist issues. If I get dumped, if I don't like this person, if it doesn't work out, I at least I might get a platform to talk about feminist issues. And for a long while there, it, it was seeming like I would, I wouldn't. It was seeming like I was kind of being the, presented as the antithesis of a feminist. Um, you know, my political views are not spoken about, I guess, because it's boring. No one wants to hear about my views on abortion or, um, uh, or oh God, any um, any other myriad of of political issues. Oh, my computer's went off. Sorry, not going to edit that out. Um, but it's just interesting that you know that was my one goal. It looked like it was going to go downhill, and I was just going to be forever known as 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 a reality TV villain and now because of the support that you guys have shown and the open-mindedness that you've had, um, things have turned around. Just feeling grateful because, you know, as you all know, Bachelor in Paradise is coming out in two days, which is on to my next topic. Um, so let me just sip my Coca-Cola before this one. Um, so, Bip, thank God it's out. It's been a long, long time coming. It was filmed so long ago. My hair is about four inches shorter in the promos. It's crazy. I look so different. I feel like I've had a glow up since then, if I do so myself. Um, it is crazy looking back. I mean, I remember getting ready for BIP. I was so nervous and it felt so different to Bachelor because I kind of had an idea of what to expect. And I was also kind of in the midst of a weird mental space, not a bad one maybe, but I was kind of on the up in, in when it comes to public favor. So I was really excited to film. Um, I remember in preparation for BIP, I literally spent like, I was trying to work out because I was, I didn't want to get those, 
uh, comments again on my weight. So I would work out. I would eat really well. I was like high smiling those teeth every day. I was putting on that little, that little gel. I was making sure those pearly whites were shining with that high smile, sweetie. Because last time that I was on the show, I, this is just a sidebar, but last time on the show, I got teeth whitening stuff and I overused it so much. And it wasn't high smile. It wasn't like, you know, one of those ones. It was like a very, very intense one. And yes, my teeth were, were white, but they my teeth hurt so, so, so much that it was one date, the painting date, it hurt to breathe. So I changed brands. I went on the high smile. The sensitivity issue wasn't there anymore, thank God. Um, but anyway, I was high smiling. I was exercising. I was, you know, hair done, eyebrows getting tweezed to no end. Um, and I was really, I don't think I was mentally preparing enough. I was more physically preparing for it. Um, but a lot of people have asked me how I feel about it coming out. I will probably do another episode uh, once my journey on the show is over. I'll give you guys a rundown on how I feel about it um, because there's not really a point me talking about it before it airs because um, while obviously we know what happens IRL, there's a lot of footage for them to go through, um, particularly with Paradise because it's 24 hours, so I don't know what's going to be shown and what isn't going to be shown. So... Um, yeah, I'm going to wait until after that to to go through that with you guys just because I need to know uh, the beast that I'm tackling, I guess you could say. Uh, but I, overall right now, you know, I could be speaking too soon. I've had a lot of you DM me being so lovely, being like, I can't wait to defend you in the comments. Um I hope I don't do you dirty again with the editing and it's so lovely. Uh, and like, yes, defend me in the comments, you know, do it, do it. I'll be proud of you. If I see it, probably like your comment. I always scroll through the comments, even though I shouldn't. Um, but I'm feeling okay. Like there's a number of reasons why. Um, the first one is I know what to expect. I understand how the timing of these waves of comments will go. I understand that, you know, between 7.30 and 9.30 or probably like 10 o'clock, on Wednesday night, I will get trolled 100%. No matter how I'm edited, I will get trolled purely by the nature of the beast. Um, so because of that, I'm having dinner with Christabel uh, both nights. We're going to hang out. My phone's going to be away. I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to worry about it because when you see it come in and you have this tidal wave of comments and twits, twits, <laughs> tweets and, and Facebook comments and it, it doesn't, it's not helpful to see it coming one by one. When you see everything in kind of hindsight the next morning, you can go through and look at it and go, okay, cool, there's 400 DMs. I only saw 20 of them because I only scrolled a certain amount of time. So I have better coping mechanisms. Also, I feel like I have you guys behind me, which is such a lovely feeling to know that, um, you know, unless I do something horrendously messed up, um, that you guys are there to support me. Uh, and that's been a huge part of uh, not being, you know, having debilitating anxiety around this. I honestly have kind of forgotten that it's been coming up um, because I, you know, I'm more nervous about my podcast recording this week with someone that I love than I am about Bip coming up. You know what I mean? I have I have other things going on in my life, which is a really nice thing to have. Um, another reason is that I feel like last time, 
when you, it's a really bizarre thing when you go on these shows and if you get, if you get trolled and even if you've been on a show and you haven't been trolled, you cannot understand the experience of someone who has been the the villain or um, even just the antagonist or even perhaps the actual bachelorette or the actual bachelor because they're copying it either way. You can never be good enough, you know. Um, I think that you don't understand quite how bad it can get and how stuck you can feel. So when I was going through it, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's eight weeks, but the reason why I got to the point where I was suicidal was because I, see, it's even so hard to, to, to think about. I, it didn't feel like I was going to get out. It didn't feel like it was going to end. Even though I knew it was eight weeks, it was 16 episodes. Yep. Cool. Four to go. I was like, well, when this is over, I'm still going to have this exact same feeling. And now that I'm out of it and now that I got through that, thanks to my amazing friends and and family and people that were around me at the time, um, and the show psychologist, um, I know that it will end. But dealing with trolling uh, in a very intense short instance is something unlike anything else. If you slowly become famous, if you have a slow rise, even if you have a quick rise to fame, you then have, you're kind of in a, you know, in boiling water. What's that saying? Frog in boil, I don't know. Frog in boil, I don't God, not... (laughs) So I'm sorry, listening right now, I've been like, it's a frog in boiling kettle or something. Anyway, you have like a slow rise to fame. You get used to it. You know, you, you get a thicker skin as time goes on. You have 10,000 followers. Da, 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 da. If you are suddenly, quote unquote, famous or in the public eye, you're going from being a nobody to being, you know, people criticizing your every move in an instant. That's one part of it. Another part of it is that you don't, this isn't something that you can talk out. So when horrible things happen in your life and you go to a psychologist, like, for example, my grandma passing away, you go to a psychologist and you you have a set plan of how to deal with that grief. Um, you have a set plan of how to deal with that's a normal thing in life that happens and you have to get through it and everyone goes through it, unfortunately, and, you know, this is what you do and this is your new life now. You can't sit around panicking every day as easy as that may be. Um, but when it's six, it's six weeks, sorry, six to eight weeks of intense awfulness and then it stops, you almost don't have time to catch up to yourself and you don't understand what this is like and no one that you know has been through it. So you literally, and your psychologist is is saying, I don't know. That's why it's good to have the show psychologist because they understand this specific instance. Um, but, yeah, so I think with this time that isn't going to happen, happen again, that that slingshot up and down isn't going to happen again because I don't believe much will really change for me no matter what happens. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully not. Um, but knowing what happened, I don't think much will change for me. Um, because of the support that you guys give me. Um, what else has been a lot this week? God, I'm, I'm rambling for a while, but you know what? This is why you come. Um, I'm sure you guys would have seen today I got Sips Coke. 
today I got a non-surgical rhinoplasty. That's right, a non-surgical rhinoplasty. What is that, you may ask? Oh, God, it's hit my nose. It hurts a little bit. So I have disliked the shape of my nose since I was on the show. Now, it isn't because I'm like, oh, I'm in the public eye now. It's, It's because when you go on TV, you see your face from angles that you have never, ever fathomed exist. You see every single degree of angle. And it's, I realized I didn't like the shape of my nose. I didn't like how my chin looked in relate in relation to my nose. So I've been looking at getting a full blown rhinoplasty lately. I went to a consult. Um, it was going to cost about $14,000, which, you know, that's standard for a good, for a good nose surgeon. Um, and I feel like this is something that you'd want to pay more for, you know? Um, and I, was a bit hesitant. And then I went, I was speaking to girls from Cosmo Chicks. Chicks is um, two girls and they basically investigate uh, different kinds of plastic surgery and beauty, beauty treatments and all that stuff. And the, the plastic surgery industry. And I was talking to them after we recorded a live together on Instagram and they said, I should try a non-surgical nose job. So I got recommended this doctor's name. I was supposed to come down in September. They had an opening. I was coming down to Sydney anyway. So two days later, I'm down here and I've got a new nose. It was incredible. I put a little Q&A on my Instagram story. Um, So I think I'll put that in my highlights just so you guys can look. But all the facts were it was $990. It was almost painless. It felt less pain than getting my eyebrows done or getting my moustache threaded. Like it was almost painless and eyebrows don't hurt. So amazing. Um, it took about half an hour. Uh, and it honestly has changed my face completely. I'll put a photo in the, in the podcast group or on the podcast Instagram as well. So you can see, um, but that's why I'm in Sydney also to record some, some different podcasts. I've got uh, a few fun things for work that I can't talk about, but, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a very strange, strange week for me. So my own, what's been a lot this week, it just went for 20 minutes. Hope you, hope you're still with me, but, um, let's get into Q and A's. I also want to say, I'm going to start, if you guys would like, you can send in your questions to the podcast uh, uh, email address. It's lotpod at gmail.com. You can send in voice memos or videos of yourself asking questions if you'd like. I think it'd be fun to put them into the podcast. It adds a bit more personality, you know, Um, and it's easy for you guys to explain as well. I'd also like you to, if you want, include your phone numbers so I can call you back during during recording and we can have a chat during recording because I think it'd be fun because a lot of these questions I think but 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 what's this what's the context because obviously context is everything when it comes to relationships particularly um even just down to what's your gender like 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 because when i answer when i answer questions i try to be inclusive but it's hard for me to not go back to my default of me being a woman and assuming that it's about a straight man because i guess that guess that's a societal norms and I've only dated men. So being 
a hymn by myself recording a podcast. You tend to flick back to your normal. So I'd love to have some more context. Anyway, send in emails, voicemail, voice notes, videos, and your phone number so I can call you back if you'd like to be included in the podcast. If not, keep writing them in. I will still read them out, but it's sort of be a fun little thing for us to connect better. All right. So I posted in the podcast group and I asked you guys what you want me to speak about. And someone said they wanted to know how to successfully navigate a friends with benefits situation in a way that is still respectful, caring, and mutually enjoyable without veering into relationship territory. This, I think for a lot of people is really difficult. Um, I think there is a fear on both ends, whether you want a relationship and you, and you're scared to, you know, keep it going and then be disappointed and hurt in the end. Or if you don't want to hurt the other person's feelings, like no one wants to be in an uncomfortable situation. I think with a lot of these questions, the answer is communicate from the get go. Um, I am, I've learned to be very honest and very open with people about my intentions and what I want from them. When I, when I figure it out, it's okay to go into a relationship, whether it's a friends benefits situation, um, you know, casually dating someone or a full blown relationship. It's okay to meet someone and not know what you want from them. I think that's a huge misconception as well of people saying, well, if they didn't want anything from me romantically, they should have told me how, how are they supposed, how is anyone supposed to know before they get to know you? Um, so when it comes to a friends with benefits situation, I think the first thing is to, when you figure out that this is all you want, whether that's day one or a month in, when you know that's all you want, communicate that with them. Say, hey, and it doesn't have to be this thing of like, let's have a talk and sit down because that's that seems unnatural and it seems unnecessary. And it also seems to put, whoops, it seems to put pressure on something that doesn't really need pressure, right? Um, so I think sit them down and say, you know, have a drink and be like, Hey, so I, uh, this is how I would do it. Hey, so I, I really like having sex with you. Like I, you make me come, um, you make me come, you do that thing that I like, you listen to my kinks and I also like hanging out with you, but I don't really see this going anywhere romantically, but I want you to know that I'm at a level where I feel comfortable doing exactly what we're doing. And you know, there isn't a reason for monogamy. That's what I would say, although I'm very upfront, probably a little bit too upfront. So put it into your own words and just be honest. Like a lot of these questions that you guys ask me, I feel like you just want permission to be able to have the conversation because that's what I do with my friends. I go, what should I say to this guy? And they go, what you're saying to us? So sometimes the answer is really obvious and really simple. And that is to have open communication with the person and not be afraid of looking like a dickhead because, or looking like you're trying to use them because at the end of the day, if someone wants more from you or they want less from you, that's the perfect opportunity to let you know if they want more from you. And you're saying to them, listen, I, I don't think this is going anywhere, but I really like your company and I really like having sex with you, but I don't, for whatever reason, whether you aren't emotionally ready or you don't just see a future with that person, I don't want this but I want to have sex with you still. Um, 
and I enjoy your company and we can hang out, that's then up to them to be honest and open with you. It doesn't make you a bad person wanting that. I think it's also important with friends with benefits to continually check in, not every time you have sex, that's a bit strange, but, you know, every couple of weeks, once a month, saying, so how are you feeling about all this? Like how do you feel about us just being friends with benefits if you feel there's some sort of disconnect there? Um, But often once that precedent is set, you you should be pretty fine. Um, I would even have a discussion around, you know, just so you're aware I'm sleeping with other people. If you are, if you're not, that's cool. But tell them exactly what's going on so that there is no question about what your intentions are. I don't think anyone can be upset with how, how you handle that. The next one, this isn't really an advice question, but I thought I'd talk about it. So, um, someone said, you mentioned in the previous episode that you were bisexual. Do you mind talking more about that? If you feel comfortable? Yes, sure. I mean, labeling myself as bisexual is something that I didn't really, uh, I didn't feel comfortable with even in 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 March. I think I've only started using it in the past couple of weeks, to be honest. Um, I've slept with women before and I've been attracted to women for probably at least the past like five years, I'd say. Um, but I find it really hard to claim that. Um, Mainly, mainly because I don't want to claim to be part of the LGBTQIA community um, if, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't feel like my experience was valid enough to claim that. I mean, I've not, I've not been oppressed for being um, bisexual. I still even find it strange to say, I think I'm probably more pansexual. I'm, I'm very fluid in how I think and I would date pretty much anyone of any gender from on, on the spectrum, um, from cis man, bleh, I mean, <laughs> cis straight man, uh, um, but cis straight man to um, a non-binary person to a trans woman or I would date anyone. So I think it's just that I struggled with that. I also was dealing and I'm still dealing with a bit of internalized homophobia, um, which is very, it's hard for me to grapple with because I am obviously very open about sexuality. I'm obviously very, very, very pro LGBTQIA. I mean, my year 10 assignment that I wrote was on why gay marriage, uh, marriage equality should be passed and why it should um, gay people should have the same rights to adopt children as anyone else. I'm I'm very passionate about this, but it's hard for me to do it, I think, because when you're yelling for the rights of others, you don't have time to look internally um, and you think you, you don't have time to examine what your conceptions of yourself are. Um, I think a huge issue for for me when it comes to my attraction to women is I guess the component of of um 
see, I still find it hard to speak about the component of trying to hit on women. Um, that is, I don't want to come across as creepy or forward or um, imposing. I think that's a thing a lot of women struggle with. I've spoken to a few bi women about this, and it's it's a struggle to be upfront and let them know that you're bi (laughs) and let them know I'm not just saying you look nice because you look nice. I would, I would like to sleep with you. Um, but also you don't, you don't want to be that creepy guy to bar. I think because we've all experienced as women, that creepy guy to bar, who won't leave you alone. Who's hitting on you when you when you think I'm obviously not interested. Um, and I don't want to be that person because I hate being on the other end of that. So I'd rather just sit in the corner um, I used to be on dating apps and I would put my preferences as men and women. And I, I think I'm probably more physically attracted to women and I get along with women better, but I would swipe right on Tinder. This is like years ago and I would match with girls and I wouldn't, I would talk to them and then get scared that they, that they maybe match me as a friend. Like this is how deep this internalized fear goes. I know if you'd call it internalized homophobia, but that's kind of what it feels like. Um, and yeah, so it's been hard for me to grapple with because I, I don't know, I don't really know what I'm doing, to be honest. Everything else that I do in life, I think I'm pretty sure about. And this, this is pretty hard. The only reason why I started saying that I was bisexual quite easily is because when I was on Clementine Ford's podcast, I mentioned that and I, she was kind of like, you're, you're allowed to identify as bisexual if you haven't dated women. And while I know that to be true, while if a friend of mine said I'm bisexual but I've never slept with a woman, I would go, yeah, you are. You are bisexual because it's about attraction. Um, but for some reason I don't hold myself to the same standards. Let me know in my DMs or in the podcast group if you guys have gone through something similar, if you're comfortable, or in the email to itslotpod at gmail.com if you've um, grapple with that as a, as a bisexual woman or non-binary person or, or oh man, actually just, just a bisexual person. Have you had this moment where you're like, oh. and then you think maybe I'm just gay or because, you know, do I just not like men right now? Which, which for me is a, is a possibility. I know I'm attracted to women, but that could be maybe a force that compounds it because of my trauma history with men. So I'm not saying lesbians are people just don't want to be with men. Of course, of course, a bisexual men only want men because they're, I want women because they are over men, not at all. But I think it does compound it for me because of my history um, after talking it through with my therapist um, only today. So, yeah, I mean, being bisexual it's a little bit confusing. I do really need to explore it more. I probably will get someone on like a friend of mine that's openly bi um, and just discuss it because even just for me, maybe it could be a little like a baby bi versus out bi um, conversation. But if you're, if you're, um, look, if you're gay or bi and you see me out and you're a woman, um, yeah, yeah, hit on me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know how to hit on women. I don't know how to hit on men either, but I particularly don't know how to hit on women because every woman that I meet, I get along with on a friendship level. So, 
Um, yeah, it's very confusing. Let me know if you've had a similar experience. I think I'll do a podcast with someone. I've got a couple people in mind, but just to talk about it, um, a friend, you know, that's by, so it's not this scary thing. And I could ask all the questions that I have or all the questions that you guys have. So email in any questions you have about that. Um, even just for yourself. Cause I really think this would be something that I probably tackle, um, and deal with for, I, I imagine a few months, it just takes a few months for me to grow through things. Now the next, uh, section, I just want to put a trigger warning on this. Um, I am going to be speaking about, uh, my abortion, um, and an abortion of someone else. And I think, I, th- I just think this is very important. So just if you, if this is a trigger warning for you, skip forward, probably be about five or 10 minutes. Um, yeah, I'm sorry if this is hard for anyone to listen to, but I think it's very important. I'm 23 years old and recently went through a termination myself. I wish that abortions were more openly discussed and felt less dirty. I don't regret the decision at all, but I did feel awful and very alone leading up to my termination. I only told two people. It almost felt like I was doing something illegal, which it shouldn't. I just wondered if you knew of any way I could help other women speak up about abortions or if you would consider mentioning it on your podcast. This sound, oh, this breaks my heart because this sounds like, because I had my abortion at 23, 22, 22. This sounds like an email written to my future self. It is crazy. This is exactly how I felt. And I, I'm sure other women out there felt the same way. I think there's this, there's this false narrative that people that have abortions are either they regret it and it was awful and they would never do it again. And, and you know, they're, they're an absolute mess afterwards, which does happen or they just don't care and it was easy, which also happens. But I think the most common story that I find is that women who have had abortions are exactly like this. They don't regret it. It was the right decision for them, but they still feel dirty. They still have the shame. They still have um, maybe a, a little bit of forced conscience from society, I guess, um, that is ingrained from, from birth, no matter how liberal of a household you grow up in. Um, feeling like you're doing something illegal, something naughty. Um, it's, it's very, it's very hard to deal with an abortion. Um, I would, I, I, I cried on the phone to my therapist today about it. And mine was three years ago. It's very hard to deal with, particularly if you feel like you're alone or I've only got two people besides, you know, I hope people that you told are people who are very supportive. Um, But it actually isn't, it, it isn't easy to get through no matter how good much of a support system you have. I have, I've been very open about, um, and I'm very, very lucky to have incredible girlfriends. I have, this is something that I have never really lacked, but in the last couple of years, my girlfriends are just 
the most precious thing in the world to me. They are honestly, they, I, the amount of love I have for them is incredible. I am so lucky to have them. They are supportive, smart, funny, strong. I love the women in my life and the gay men, (laughs) Um, my friends, my amazing friends. But I still felt this way. And I, I think, I honestly think that I have the best friends in the whole world. Um, so I understand this feeling and it breaks my heart that you felt this way. Um, I think the most important thing, again, I know I say this to every question, but I think this is really important to go to therapy. After I had my abortion, I was so mentally unwell. I went through a stage of being very, very depressed. Um, actually I might just tell my abortion story quickly, just so for those of you who haven't seen my IGTV on Instagram can catch up. If you would like a longer version of this, I did about a 15 minute video on my abortion on my IGTV around 10 months ago. I've got blonde hair in it. Um, um, I might link it in the show notes because uh, I do give all my feelings in that one. Um, when I had my abortion, I it was the one time my ex-boyfriend and I, ex-boyfriend that I love, and I had, um, it, look, there's no nice way to say this. He'd finish inside me. <laughs> um, but he was not supportive at all. He was sick. My friends took me to the abortion clinic because I, I I decided to do it by myself because um, he was sick. I was like, I don't want to get the nurses sick or me sick. Um, and he picked me up. He, long story short, he was kind of, he kind of yelled at me on the way home about something that wasn't related. He was stressed about the abortion, but, you know, he's never yelled at me before or since that moment. So pick your timing, babe. Um, he, then we got back to my mum's house and I was really upset. Uh, obviously I was in physical pain, emotional pain. I hadn't, I'd booked the abortion before I'd even told him that I was pregnant. So I, it was a very quick decision and it was the right decision, but it was, it was very, it was all, it was awful. It was horrendous. Um, and we got home and I was obviously crying and upset and he gave me cuddles and he was like, I got to go, babe. And I was like, what? And he was like, I, um, I've got to go. Uh, I'm going to go out with the boys. It was a Saturday. And I was like, I never asked anything of you. Now I'll tell you guys the ex-boyfriend story in a few months. I'll give you guys a full rundown. Start to finish a little episode on it. But I was like, I've never asked anything from you. You've never been there for me. Can you please be there for this? And he, I was like, I remember I was holding onto his shirt, like grabbing his shirt, crying as he was trying to walk away. And he pulled my hand away from his shirt and just said, you're pathetic. <laughs> um, and then I had to deal with that emotion plus the abortion plus everything else. And then the week after, I'm so I'm sad about that, plus the guilt of it's not killing a baby, but you feel like it is. So I'm just going to say killing a baby because that, that's how you feel 
despite how how very pro-choice I am, very pro-choice, the rhetoric still exists in your head that you've been fed, um, even if it's just by that crazy man in the corner with the abortion signs, anti-abortion signs. So you've got the guilt, you've got the uh, physical pain, you've got the emotional pain, you've got the confusion, you've also got the fact that you've just paid a decent amount of money and you're like, fuck, it's expensive. That's that's another stress as well that no one really talks about. Um, and you've also got the hormonal change. Um, when I was pregnant, I was really sick. I was vomiting a lot and then I wasn't sick immediately afterwards. But then I was emotionally all over the shop after my abortion. I was like up, down, up, down. Um, Obviously it was exacerbated by the fact that of the procedure that I had, but the hormones as well really messed with me. So I went to a psychologist and that helped me a fair a fair bit. I should have gone for more sessions. Um, the yeah, the one of the biggest regrets in life that I have is not going for ten sessions or so. I only went for two, and I should have gone for more. And I should have gone more consistently. And that is something that I will always regret in life: is not going to a psychologist more consistently for longer for the past four years. Because now that I'm doing it, life is crazy good. Not crazy good. <laughs> I mean, men, my mental health is is much better than it ever has been. Um, but there are all these different factors that make you feel guilty and feel shit. And I just want you to know that you aren't you aren't alone. As cliche as that sounds, but this experience you're describing, I I know three friends that have had abortions, and they all have this experience. This kind of you know it's the right decision, but you feel guilty and you feel weird and you feel overwhelmed and it's hard. And honestly, it's something that you're going to have to really work on. Um, well, I had to anyway. Um, and that's hard to do as well because things like this, we want to just push down, we want to just ignore and we want to be able to say that it didn't affect us. And maybe perhaps there's also guilt that it does affect you because you think, well, I made, this is how I felt anyway. I don't know if I'm just speculating here, but when I, when I had my abortion, I felt like I didn't have a right to be upset because it was my decision. But you're allowed to be upset. You, you're allowed to feel whatever you, whatever you do feel. You're allowed to still want kids after this. It's another thing that I that I unexpectedly struggled with and still kind of struggle with is wanting children. I mean, only in the past couple of months have I gone back to how I was before my abortion where I thought I absolutely want children because I felt like, well, you've you've terminated a pregnancy a few months ago, so who the, who the fuck are you to say that, that you want a kid? Because you obviously don't. But that wasn't the right timing for me. And if I'd had a, if I'd had a child, I would still be in a job that I hate with a two year old now with someone who is not a good partner, um, and who, yeah, that's a whole other story. Mm, um, but it it wouldn't be productive. So I hope you're okay. I hope you go to a therapist if you can afford it. I know it's very expensive, um, and I hope that you 
can find some sort of solidarity in this. I I know it's it's hard. There's also not there's not a lot of when I had my abortion, I mean, I didn't really overly look, but nothing that I listened to or watched spoke about abortions in a way that wasn't like, this has ruined my life, or I don't give a fuck. It wasn't very realistic. So hopefully me speaking about this has helped at least one of you out there um, feel better and maybe even educated someone if one of your friends is going through an abortion or or you just, you know, you hadn't ever heard someone speak about it um, candidly. Okay, so the next one, we've only got about 15 minutes here, but this is a topic that one of my um, podcast group members asked me a little while ago and she reminded me about it and I feel like now is a better time than ever to speak about it with BIP coming out in two days and I think it's a really interesting topic to speak about. And I kind of forgot, like, I, I do so many podcasts, <laughs> I do so many podcasts and interviews and I'm a guest on a lot of podcasts and I forget that I never speak to you guys on this podcast about my views of how it was portrayed on The Bachelor because I think I talk about it so much, but I don't speak about it in this arena. So this is the question that was posted in the podcast group. If you want to go and see the discussion, hop on there. It's Lot Podcast Group with Abby Chatfield, I think it's called. It's Lot Podcast with Abby Chatfield Group. Look, it's it's in the Instagram bio um, and it's in the show notes. All right. So my friend and I have been discussing The Bachelor and The Bachelorette from a feminist perspective and can't really decide on how problematic it might be. Same. Basically, this discussion started with us wondering whether Abby has spoken much about her feminist views in relation to her decision to go on the show like The Bachelor. Have you, Abby, received any slash much criticism or spoken much about this? My friend and I both love the show and often have batchy nights um and watch together with the girls, but we aren't blind to how gendered and problematic it is in terms of perpetuating some harmful stereotypes. On the one hand, it could be argued that the show is in a way anti-feminist and a step back for feminism, but on the other hand, women having the choice to participate in this show freely is something feminism fights for. We know it's a false dichotomy to paint it as one or the other, and we know you can love The Bachelor and still be a feminist, just like you can be a feminist and go on The Bachelor. The show obviously isn't either anti-feminist or totally pro-feminist, but it's somewhere in between. But where? Some main points we've discussed and thought about are, as viewers and fans of the show, should we become more vocal in wanting a fairer depiction of women in it, as in demanding that they need to not be edited to fit into one female stereotype, the bitch, the femme fatale, the girl next door, the weirdo, the sexy foreigner, the dumb blonde, etc., etc.? Is competing for a male's attention against other women perpetuating harmful notions like a woman's main purpose is to attract slash win a man? Does having the bachelorette help outweigh the fact that the bachelor is problematic or is it even more harmful because each show is depicted quite differently based on how the genders are involved? Is it problematic if it's different in the way the male household is depicted compared to the female household on The Bachelor. The boys' show is getting along, blokey, and there's a bit of a bromance, and women are often depicted as unable to get along with each other and being catty. Um, would fixing the things that are wrong with the show make it inherently less interesting and does it make it a bit of a guilty pleasure? Oh, my God, I have so many thoughts on this. I have spoken about it a fair bit on different podcasts. I don't know which ones. I, they all kind of mesh into one in my head, all the ones I've done in the past year. But I kind of am 
I'm sitting precisely where you are as someone who is a staunch feminist and who has gone through this thing from start to finish and two times now, sips Coke, um, I'm 100% with you. I think the first part of your question as viewers and fans of the show, should we be wanting a fairy depiction when we're in it? I think, yes, I think a huge reason, well, the reason why um, there are stereotypes and boxes to be ticked uh, in the depiction of reality TV is because that's what the audience wants That as a, as a whole. That is what the that is what the template for a successful reality TV show is. Women being a bitch, uh, the girl next door, the cute one, the, the obsessive one. There's always a script that, that someone will, will play into. Um, I think, I think it would be great to be more vocal in wanting a fairy depiction of the women in the show. I think it, I think it would help. I don't know if it would, uh, change anything. And that's not because I think the producers of these reality shows are evil villains sitting in their lairs trying to find ways to ruin um, uh, people's lives. I think that comes down to society and the patriarchal society in which we live that there are stereotypes that are easy to play into. When you have a one-dimensional character such as the bitch or the girl next door or the clinger, it's easy for people to project their own views and their own experiences onto that person. So when people saw me, they saw that girl from high school that stole their boyfriend that was overly confident despite the fact that I went to an all-girls school and I'm sure as you can tell, I'm very much a girl's girl. But they saw me as that. So they were hooked onto my personality, whether it was a good or a very bad way, but they felt as though they knew me. Uh, Similar to Chelsea. Chelsea was a nerdy smart girl that was quiet that everyone loves love chels she's lovely she's sweet um and that was easy for people that maybe saw themselves in chelsea or saw their best friend in chelsea uh it was easy for them to love her um and the people that liked me during the show as well like i think there's a lot of um misconception that i got only hate i got a lot of a lot a lot a lot of hate but i had i had my fans i had my fans during the show so people that might have seen me as being similar to their best friend or to them. Um, it's very easy for women to be put into these boxes. I think it does happen on the uh, Bachelorette as well with the boys. I think it's maybe to a more nuanced degree where there isn't, there definitely is the clinger or the arrogant controlling one that actually is more signs of abusive behaviour, I would say. Um, you know, like, uh, God, who's that guy from Ali's season? Um that bloke, Charlie, he was quite scary. Or you've got the clinger. Um, and while they are kind of boxes to tick, it's a little bit more nuanced. Um, it's a little bit more, you know, Tim's the blokey bloke who's funny and got a bit of personality. Uh, Kieran is confident, sexual, uh, basically the male me, but He's a man, so so we like it, and it's funny and quirky. It isn't it isn't confronting. Um, but I do think, as a society, there is this there is this notion that women are one dimensional. It's easy to paint them into boxes, and it's easy to it's easy 
for us as an audience to relate to one or another and to love and to hate certain characters. So that's more of a societal thing than an individual uh, viewership thing, though I would love to see more comments, people calling calling out um, uh, depictions of different reality stars. I think the issue is the vocal majority as well, other people that are angry and want to spew hate. They're the people that are going to be the the most vocal I always say it's it's like that thing of when you go to a restaurant and you have an, a pretty good meal, you rarely write reviews. If you have a shit meal, you're always going to write a review. So like I went to a pub today, had a great palmer, didn't write a review. If it was really awful, actually I wouldn't because I don't write reviews because I'm a dickhead, but, you know, what it would be not crazy to write a review. So that's kind of where I sit on that in regards to different depictions. I think the more conversation we can have around this, the better. There are some really great podcasts that I would recommend you guys listening to um, that are great Bachelor recaps if you enjoy that sort of thing. There are three that I love. Uh, The first one is obviously Rosie Waterland, Just the Gist. Um, She was the only podcast. Actually, all these three were supportive, but Rosie was particularly supportive and great and handles the shows with nuance and wit and she is fantastic. Then there is also Batch Bitch, Batch Bitch, Batch Bitch, Batch Bitch, um, which those girls are really supportive as well. I loved them when they I would wait for their show to come out because I felt like they were the only ones that got me. And then there's Bachelor of Hearts, which is another amazing podcast that analyzes the show. I will also be doing recaps um, when there's when the normal Bachelor is airing, so stay tuned for that. Um, I'm going to have random people on, like I'll probably get you know Kieran on for an episode, or Tim on for an episode, or um, my friends Jess, or you know I want to get Steph Claire Smith and Laura Henshaw on people that I really like and was have bands with. So that will be fun. Um, the next question is competing for male attention against other women perpetuating harmful notions. Um, I'm going to go with my initial response is yes, as a feminist. I get what you're saying here. But I think if we take that, if we, if we take that thought process, we could probably dismantle anything because let's say, oh, is deal or no deal perpetuating the harmful notion that, that monetary uh, success is the only success and capitalism, harmful ways of capitalism are actually uh, beneficial to us. Uh, not saying that it's a stretch, but I see both sides of the coin here. Um, I think that it does perpetuate that, but I think as well, with The Bachelorette and with someone as great as Angie was last year, there is that comparison, which leads me to the next question of you asking if The Bachelorette helps outweigh the fact that The Bachelor is problematic, if at all. I think The Bachelorette is... The Bachelorette is really interesting. I was speaking about this on a podcast a couple of days ago and I was thinking about how... Um, the final the final rose is depicted and it seems as though every year so let's take my season for example i was there so i know i know how things went down um i matt was kind of seen as this 
man who was being tricked by a devil woman and he had to fight for his love and he was going to choose love in the end and there was this there was this narrative of resistance uh, to get to his one true love and I was the, the blockage, but he knew what he wanted all along and what he was going to choose was the right thing. Whereas with Angie, Angie and Carlin and Tim, Tim was obviously the hero in that story rather than Angie. And Angie was kind of seen as being a little bit dumb or not doing what the audience wanted. Not that I think she was at all. I think Angie made the right decision. Um, But I think there's this thing of the woman always ends up being the one disliked. Um, I think Angie, but, but, but neither men were a villain. So Colin wasn't a villain, but Colin was just seen as not the best choice for Angie. And she was a bit silly for picking him, even though I don't think she was, but I was, there had to be, we hate her and we love her and Matt is going to make the right decision. We trust Matt to make the right decision. But Angie was just a little bit silly and didn't know what she wanted. When in fact, neither of those things are true. It's a very incredibly hard, it's a very incredibly, it's an incredibly hard situation to be in. It's an incredibly hard decision to make. I can't imagine making it. And I think people don't understand, obviously, what filming is like and how we get to that place. I think having The Bachelorette does help us identify where there are gender biases and where there are direct comparisons of events happening and there being no repercussions. For example, Tim kissing Angie in the orchard. When I did that, I got ripped a fucking new one. Tim got praised for being cute and quirky, even though he lied to the boys and said he wasn't going to kiss her and then kissed her. I did the same thing. I got almost fucking slaughtered. Um, Carlin telling Angie about... Um, Jess being problematic, I told Matt about Monique and I got, again, slaughtered. Carlin got praised for being a gentleman, which I think the boys, obviously I agree with what the boys did. So all the power to Tim, all the power to Carlin, but I got shit for it. Um, I think it's it makes it easier for us to identify things. Um, I do think there is a notion that women can't get along and shouldn't get along that is perpetuated, but... See, a lot of these things, it comes down to society and I think the show themselves are acting as a filter. They're acting through a lens that society views women are meant to be in. If these stereotypes didn't already exist, there wouldn't be a need to perpetuate them and there wouldn't be a need to or a want or a desire or an ease in having women be one-dimensional bitches or clingers or girl, girls next door or or any of these stereotypes, um, unfortunately. And your final point is would fixing the things that are wrong with the show make it less successful? Yes, 100%. And this comes from someone who loves Married at First Sight. I love Married at First Sight. It's the only show that I will watch um, uh, like on normal cable TV, whatever it is, satellite TV. I don't even know. I don't have a thing that plugs in. I watch it on my like on the like Channel 9 website and project it. But I love it. I think it's my guilty pleasure. I think it's great to watch even though I know how problematic 
maths can be. Maths is much worse than The Bachelor, in my opinion. And I know that I wouldn't enjoy these shows if I didn't have someone to dislike on them. And that's okay. That's human nature. I think there's this huge, I mean, people think maybe when I'm saying don't troll me that I'm saying you can't dislike me. Dislike me. I'm there to, as, you know, or any person who's who's shown a negative light is there to drive the storyline along and entertain you. At the end of the day, is entertainment. I love water cooler chat in the office when I used to work at an office about Married at First Sight and how much of a dickhead this person is. That's fine. That's what the shows are there for. It's it's such a guilty pleasure. It's such a, it's it's human nature, you know, to want a hero and a villain. And that's why all these shows have quote-unquote villains. Every single show, Love Island, Maths, Bachelor, Bachelor in Paradise, MasterChef even. I think it's just we need to check our biases when we're, having a guilty guilty pleasure moment, which is something that I do more often. The people that I dislike in shows now are very different to the ones that I would have disliked previously. Um, you know, previously I would have disliked the, you know, the, the Davinas on Married at First Sight. But now I have a different opinion on that and I can speak through the editing and I can see through the way that we're positioned to um, dislike certain stereotypes of women, particularly on maths when it comes to uh, injectables. For some reason, with maths, people having cosmetic procedures done equals villain, which is a very strange notion. Um, so that's how I feel about that. I think, I think as long as we know, I think when it comes to participating in and watching these shows, as long as we're aware of our biases and check ourselves and use it as um, entertainment and maybe a bit of a discussion point with their friends, talk about things like feminist issues. I don't think these shows are are particularly damaging. Uh, Perhaps they are inherently problematic, but I think almost all forms of entertainment are, unless it's Hamish Nandy, (laughs) like unless it's something so like, I love 90 Day Fiance. You know why? Because I think people on there are batshit crazy. The ones that have nice little love stories, I'm like, cool, next, don't care. It's, it's, that's how we get our entertainment. That is what we love. It's okay to love those things. It just comes down to analyzing why you feel way about, certain way about people and why you feel the need to message someone or comment. I just would love to beg you guys to when Bachelor in Paradise comes out, if you can defend me in the comments, please go for it. If you, and it sounds pathetic, but it really, really means a lot to me seeing you guys defend me. Um, and if you see something, um, that is, you know, in a private group, don't send it to me. Don't need to know if you see articles, don't post in the Facebook group. I'm just going to get through this one. I'm going to carry on my life as normal. And, um, I hope you guys enjoy watching me. We're an hour now. So thanks for listening to my little hotel room rant. Um, I will see you guys next week for one of my favorite episodes of the show that I've recorded. It'll be out next Tuesday. Love you guys very much. Have a great night.